about lust, right? Can we talk about sex today? That's our topic. Um, we can chuckle, we can laugh, and we can ask the Lord to reveal to us just the parts of our heart that need to trust him more, right? Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 5. We're getting into the Sermon on the Mount. Before we read that, um, I want to just remind you of our sermon series, The Good and Beautiful Life. We're all looking for the good and beautiful life, right? Every human being on the planet is looking for the best kind of life they can possibly live. They're looking for it to be good. They're looking for it to be awesome, thrilling, fun, an adventure. You know, they're, they're, and for some of us, that looks like a brand new book. That's adventurous. For some of us, that would just be the most awful thing in the whole wide world, right? So what looks like the good and beautiful life is different to all of us. As believers, we would all sit in this room today and say, we believe that the best most amazing life we can possibly have is with Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. We agree with that. Hook, line, and sinker, right? The problem, and what the Sermon on the Mount addresses, is that sometimes we just rely too much on what we think in here or, or even what our culture tells us is the good and beautiful life. And when Jesus came and he and he. He preached that Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of his ministry. He was saying, all right, folks, here's really what it means to live in the kingdom. And, and he says over and over again, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And he radicalizes what the Jews in their day at that time would have been living as the acceptable, good, and beautiful life. Does that make sense? Right? And, and for a large part for them, the good and beautiful life had become what the external looked like. We're not that much different, especially in terms of lust and sex. Because we tend to say, if you could just have been married to the same person your whole entire life, then you must be okay. That doesn't mean... That you have honored that one person for those 50 years the way the Lord would have had you honor them. Right? So into externals, Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. St. Augustine said, writing in the 4th and 5th centuries, he he said this. He he prayed this. Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. And I think that he was speaking of this inner conflict that we have. This inner conflict of desires that God gave us that ought to be good, but that when out of control create a whole lot of havoc. Right? Right? 
St. Augustine even went on to kind of shape what we still, what we still teach in the church for a lar- in a large part. He went, on to, he went on to argue that all sexual desire is wrong, it is evil. And then in fact, he, he even went as far as to say that sexual intercourse is what transmits original sin. Right? Because of that, most of Christianity for centuries has said that it's all bad, None of it's any good. You've got to stay away from it. Not good. All evil. As opposed to our culture today, but not just today, not just 2014. Opposed to our culture that says it's all good. Whatever you want, just go after it. It's an innate desire. Doesn't matter. You don't have to control it. Whatever you want, it's all good. Somewhere in the middle of these two, there must be a balance, right? So I grew up in the 80s. And in the 80s in youth ministry culture, um, it was this whole, what we heard preached to us, me and all of my friends, over and over and over again, was, was that idea that, 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 that all sexual desire is bad until the moment you're married. And then it's all good. I mean, I can visually remember my mother telling me this in my in our kitchen. I can remember youth pastors saying that. I can remember youth pastors holding up two apples and saying, one one is a completely whole apple and one has a bite out of it, and said, now, which one do you want to eat? The one with the bite out of it or the one that has it nobody's taken a bite out of? You might have even taught some of these lessons, right? So... <laughs> So if you're sitting there and you're a 16-year-old boy or girl that's already had a bite taken out of your apple, you feel like you are wasted and you are no good and not worth anything ever again. Anybody grow up in the 80s and remember those lessons? Right? And then at a Christian college, one by one my friends would get married. I'm being way more honest than you want me to be right now, right? And, and they would go, I woke up the next morning and went, was this Okay. This is bad. I mean, it was bad till I was 21, and now all of a sudden it's okay? Yeah? True confessions. Somebody out there needs to raise your hand and go, yeah, my girlfriends and I talked about that. In the 90s, when I was practicing youth ministry, a large part in the 90s and, um, and early 2000s, we talked a lot about true love weights, and we did a whole lot of ceremonies, um, and we also talked a lot about I kissed dating goodbye. I never could quite buy into that. I would t- teach it every now and then for those that, that wanted to do that. But I just couldn't imagine that there were a lot of 15-year-olds that didn't ever want to kiss anybody, right? Um, some, were, some were able to do that. A lot of true love weight ceremonies. A lot of girls and boys that participate in true love weight ceremonies that still got pregnant before they got married. And it left me wondering, what good was true love weights? And they came from good homes. They came from dads who loved them and moms who supported them. All that stuff that sometimes we talk about, well, if girls just have really good dads, they won't. They came from amazing homes. Yeah? I'm not sure that just the pledge... Or just the I kiss dating goodbye worked. I think it was an external 
right? It was an external that didn't address the internal. Yeah? And sometimes we can think it's just the culture we now live in. It's just since the 60s or 70s, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. I've caught myself saying recently, I don't think it was this bad when I was a teenager. And yet Jesus addressed it. Have you ever stopped to think about that? I mean, Jesus needed to address it in the first century. Must have been an issue. Not just adultery, but lust, friends. And they didn't have pornographic magazine and they, magazines and they didn't have the internet. And it was still an issue. The word Jesus uses, epithumia, literally means to desire. We translate it to desire. Um, it comes from two words, epi and thumos. Epi, over, towards, at, a direction. Thumos, fierceness, passion, fierceness. And thumos comes from the root word thuo. And I'm telling you that because I think this is really power and powerful in terms of lust. Which means to rush to sacrifice by fire, to slaughter for any purpose. Now, would you think about that for just a minute? To slaughter for any purpose. In your mind. Jesus wasn't talking about the actual acts of adultery. He wasn't talking about where lust leads. He was talking about giving in to our minds to slaughter by fire God's people. And furthermore, this is important to me. He was talking to men. And he was telling men to watch their desires. Well, Bev, we get that. Yeah, but we usually tell, at least we tell teenagers and young adult girls. That's the message that, that my girls and the girls in my life hear over and over again, that they can control what goes on in the mind of men. Jesus didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, ladies, it's your fault if a guy wants to take advantage of you. He didn't say, women, it's your fault if your husband has an affair. He didn't say that. And he could have based on the culture of the day. But he didn't. He said, men. It's kind of interesting because he goes on to say, 
Listen, if you can't control your eye, cut it out. If your hand causes you problems, cut it off. I don't think Jesus meant that. I think what Jesus meant was, this is almost impossible to not fall victim to from time to time. I think he he meant a bit like St. Augustine. There is an internal conflict. And every now and then, you're going to struggle with these issues in your life. It doesn't matter if you're 14 years old or 24 years old or 44 years old or 64 years old. I don't know if there's a time limit on it, an age limit on it. But there are going to be times when you struggle because this is difficult. This is not easy. But I say to you, Jesus says to you, Honor the loved ones you're with. Yeah? Honor the loved ones you're with. It's not going to be easy. And we could probably argue that today's world, if there is a change, it's that everything is permissible. That's what we could probably argue today. That it's out there, it's open, it doesn't matter. The dichotomy between what the church says and what the culture says is probably wider than it has ever been before. And this side, this cultural side, it is everywhere you turn. As a woman raising daughters, there's nothing in their world that tells them their identity. Everything in their world tells them their identity is wrapped up in their sexuality. Everything in a girl's culture today. I don't know that that was true in the first century. So maybe it's a much more difficult world in which to live that way. But that doesn't change the calling of the good and beautiful life. So so if we have these two truths, all sexual desire is evil and all sexual desire is good, where's the good and beautiful life? Where do we find it in regards to our sexuality? Now, that's a very difficult question, isn't it? Especially when the phone call comes at 7 o'clock in the morning. I think it's in Colossians chapter 3. I think this is kingdom romance. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So recognizing that, that we are God's chosen ones, we are his sons and daughters. That starts with me. I am his son or I am his daughter. I am his daughter. I'm going to claim that. I'm going to live in that. But it also means that I recognize that you are God's sons and daughters. And so I'm going to treat you as I treat myself, as God's sons and daughters. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. 
As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, called to one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think the balance, the truth, it's not a balance. It's a truth. Both are lies, right? I think the truth is in understanding that we are holy and dearly loved children of God. And that when I choose to live in that, I will take my desires, I will take my struggles, my inner conflicts, and I will let the Lord have them. And I will trust that as good as this may seem, Trusting him with those desires leads to the good and beautiful life. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. I think that the, that the truth, because these are both lies, all sex is bad, all sex is good. Those are both lies. I think that the truth, is in understanding that and accepting and living in my chosenness as a dearly beloved, called daughter of Christ. Trusting him, because I am dearly chosen, dearly beloved. Trusting him with all of my inner conflicts with all of the thoughts that may pop into my head over and over and over again, and trusting that if I don't follow them, that if I live in him, my adventure on this good, beautiful life with him is going to be way better than being completely chased or being completely given in to my desires. I got one nod. Richard Fowler, who does a lot of um, faith development, defines faith as this. On what or on whom you set your heart. On what or on whom you set your heart. See, if you live over here, you're going to have to set your hope and your heart on yourself to be able to control yourself. Raise your hand if that has worked. If you live over here, you're setting your hope and your heart on your own selfish desires, on your own pleasure. It is what will lead and guide every decision you make. 
Every time you open up that internet site. Every time you let that lust get out of control. Every time you are giving into momentary pleasure, momentary desire that leaves you empty and lost and alone. But if I live here, I'm going to believe and I'm going to know that my marriage to one man for 50 years, honoring him as the son of God that he is, will give me here today the most beautiful, amazing, adventurous life I can imagine. Now, that's not true when when the laundry's not done and the grass is a mess and my closet's not fixed and there's a leaky pipe. It doesn't feel very adventurous. But if I just stay true, even that is a pretty good ride. Right? I think that sometimes in our world, we, we have said that if you live over here, you are this really ugly rose that is not good for anything at all. And when you feel that way, you just continue to give more and bits of yourself away. You just give in to whoever's knocking at the door. Why not? Feels good for the moment. Getting used up, but feel bad in the morning. Until pretty soon, there is just almost nothing left. And I think that living this kind of life turns what God intended to be really beautiful into something can't even give to him. But in grace, my friends, he comes back along and he makes that rose grow again. Right? He chops off what is dead, what's not working, trying to do it all by myself or just giving up. And he makes us bloom again. And maybe you're in here today and you are lost over here or you're lost over here because this hasn't worked and this doesn't leave you feeling very good. My invitation for you today, the Lord's invitation for you, is that you come once again to receive his grace, his forgiveness, his Holy Spirit anointing to become new in Christ Jesus. Tomorrow you may need to come back for more grace. If you're dealing with an addiction, you may need professional help. We can help you with that. We have some places we can send you. Not like far away forever, but you know. Like we have some people we can send you to. We have some resources for you. 
But if you just need to know that God's grace is enough, if you just need to know that he can take a life that has turned out looking like this and turn it into this, we can help you with that too. Right? I want to stop and pray for a couple different things. I want to pray for those of us that, that need to rebloom. In the world of roses, it's called deadheading. Cut off the, the, the bloom that has died so that a new one can grow. Right, Miss Nell? <laughs> and so I want to pray for those of you that feel like Man, I got some problems. I'm filled with guilt because I live way over here. I feel with guilt because I live way over here. I haven't treated myself like I'm a child of God. Certainly haven't treated my spouse. Or just the images in my head. I haven't treated them like they're children of the Lord. And maybe you need to bloom again today. You shouldn't pray for that. But I also want to ask you, because I recognize the crowd that I'm talking to at 9 o'clock in the morning. I also want to ask you, if you could join in prayer this morning, for the next two services that we have. At 10.30, we will have a section full of teenagers. And it's not any easier being a teenager today than it was when you were a teenager. Most of our college students are at a retreat. There'll be several here this morning. And then we have a 6 o'clock service. that brings in some young adults probably feel like a used-up rose. And I want to pray. I want you to pray. I want you to grab the hand of a person next to you, and I want you to pray for a few minutes. I want you to pray that the Lord would so captivate them that regardless of the failures that they've had, they will find grace in him and that they will choose today and then tomorrow and then the next day to set their hope and heart on him it cannot be about what they wear what they don't wear it can't even be about the music or the movies that's all outside you get that? That's all outside. It's got to be about the inside, church. So while maybe none of us in here are really struggling with Matthew chapter 5, maybe you know someone who is. And if you know a young adult or a teenager, you do.
maybe you would like to come and kneel at an altar to pray for them. One of the most powerful things my parents ever did was kneel on either side of my twin bed, calling out to the name of the Lord for me. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Kneel at your chairs, kneel at an altar. Invite Jesus. Would you do that with me? Would you invite Jesus to speak into the hearts and lives of our 1030 and our 6 o'clock service? Can we do that, church? Let's start with this part. (laughs) You know if this is a struggle for you. If you have lived in in guilt from your past, not being able to control yourself, or or whether you're still living in giving yourself over to the passions of your heart today. Maybe you need Jesus to come through and cut away the dead stuff so that you can bloom again. Let's repeat these words. That's you today. Jesus, I need your healing touch. I need you to cut away what doesn't work. And I need you to help me bloom again. Jesus, give me your grace to live as a dearly beloved Chosen child of God. Take the hand of the person next to you. Come forward, kneel at an altar. Feel free to pray out loud so the person sitting next to you can hear or just pray silently. Pray loud enough so we can all hear. Jesus, send your anointing. Name your kids, friends. Pray the right spouses into their lives. They're already married. Pray that their spouses would be the kind of people that honor and cherish and adore and lift them up. Lift up your grandkids. Jesus, there there is no rule we can make that will tame the passions that you gave us. And that's just the truth. But we can invite the Holy Spirit to tame us, to lead us, to protect us until we're in the right kind of relationship, to bring our hearts back over and over again to who you are, what you desire for us. We can invite your Holy Spirit to renew us. Not if. Not 
if we use our desires inappropriately. But when? May we come back to you, to your altar, to your sacrifice. Over and over and over again. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus.